I got to yeah, wait. Do we, do we, Walter, I got to write that down. My greatest competitor is the status quo. That is a line, brother. I mean, that is that is really, really true. The business of sales is sometimes harder than actually making the sale in the first place. See, you're not only a professional salesperson, you're a business owner. But the focus always seems to be on sales. Well, we're here to help you. I've been in the sales world and training sales professionals for over four decades. My name's Morris Sims. I've seen some great salespeople fail because they didn't run their business very well. Well, we're going to share success concepts and interview some great entrepreneurs who are going to help you in your business. Welcome to the business of sales. you're in, if you have a product you want someone else to to take and exchange that product for money, then you and I are in the world of sales, whether that product is physical or uh, or not, and whether or not you're selling an idea or you're selling a car, you're still in sales. And today, I'm really excited about having Walter Crosby with us. Walter is the managing partner of Helix Sales Development. He works with growth-minded CEOs and sales leaders to help them grow their business. And that's what we're all about. That's what we're here for, is to help you grow your business, right? So really excited about having Walter here. He also, by the way, is the host of his very own podcast. You're going to love this. You ready? sales and cigars. So I'm looking forward to hearing Walter's take on the best cigar out there as well. Walter, thanks for being with us today, man. Morris, I really appreciate the opportunity. uh, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Well, tell us your journey, my friend. How did you get to where you are today? Well, you know, I kind of positioned it as a a blue-collar sales career. Um, I graduated from a fine institution, the University of Michigan, and uh, two weeks later, I was in New York City um, trying to uh, sell commercial real estate uh, two days before Black Monday. Oh, my. Back in the, yeah, I timed, it was everything great timing. <laughs> um, and so I... I I spent about seven years there, uh, greatest education I think I could ever have, just, Mm -hmm. you know, working in in a city like that, the diversity, uh, having to, uh, I mean, I got my first job because I walked out of the interview, or tried to walk out of the interview. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Because the gentleman, it wasn't because I was super smart and I had this great strategy, it was just because I was annoyed. Because the guy sat me down on his couch and said, hey, sit there. I'll be with you in a minute. And then he proceeded to talk to his girlfriend for 20 minutes. I would have walked and out, too. Yeah. I snuck on his desk and I say, hey, sorry, Mr. Michaels. I think I caught you at the, a bad time. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we had an interview scheduled 20 minutes ago. And I, you're obviously got a more important phone call. And he's like, use some colorful language. Uh, got off the phone and then just proceeded to have a, probably the most cantankerous <laughs> interview I've ever had in my life where he was making fun of me because I didn't belong to a fraternity and I was making fun of him because, you know, maybe where I went to school, you didn't have to be Greek to have a, a social life. It was, yeah. it was, and he offered me a job 
And the moral of the story, the reason I'm telling you this is because he had pigeonholed me as this snot-nosed kid from the Midwest who would have no way of making it in New York, right? It's just because I would just get eaten alive by, um, you know, CFOs and CEOs yeah. of big yeah. companies. Oh, and yeah. uh, be- because I was willing to get up and walk out of an interview that had been, you know, uh, had been introduced to him through a third party, um, and, you know, he just thought I had I had the the guts or the hoots, but uh, um, to go do what I needed to do. So I I, I cut my teeth in there in commercial real estate, and um, I've always worked um, in a commission sales position where I ate what I killed, for usually for smaller companies, um, where I was the underdog, if you will. Um, spent ten years selling fire alarm systems for a small family business against little companies like Siemens, Tyco, and Honeywell. Um, <laughs> little little companies, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I kind of had to learn to be uh, uh, feisty and had to be able to differentiate myself and from the very from the very beginning. And I had no idea what I was doing at the start. So um, it's been a fun journey. I, I had no... Had no intentions of doing what I'm doing today, but all of the experience and the, I don't know, the uh, um, mistakes that I've made over my career, I'm trying to help, trying to like yourself, trying to help others not make those same mistakes. Yeah. At least not as many times. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. And, and I know you're coaching and consulting with, with business owners, with CEOs and, and top salespeople. Well, Walter, tell us what what do you find out there when you're talking to business owners and and top salespeople? What do you find in the the top couple of things that you're able to help them with? Um, it's a really good question. I I think there's there's one fundamental problem that we hear the most often from a CEO or a business owner, and that's their frustration with their revenue forecast um, that it's never reliable or accurate. Mm-hmm. They discount it um, significant, uh, you know, 25 to 35% without even thinking about it. Um, and, and that usually opens up a conversation around why that is and allows us to go and look at you know, five large buckets of of challenges, of problems, of opportunities, of of where some of their struggles might be, and you know, those are salespeople, sales managers, their sales systems and processes, their sales hiring process, and then sales leadership, which I which I kind of think about and talk about from the sense of a sales culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I see so many companies where the salespeople are treated poorly, um, not respected. Their time isn't respected. And granted, some of us, some of us salespeople, do a great job at perfecting that reputation and proliferating reasons why a business owner might not have the respect that they should. Yeah, but. We, we, we look at it from those five buckets and 
um, and we we do some analysis to to try to help help them see where their strengths are mm-hmm. and where their weaknesses are, and focus on focus on those weaknesses. And the you know we're not we don't really consider ourselves a training company because training is the absolute last thing we would do. Um, it's more of working on on that culture and on those systems and processes to build out the infrastructure because you don't build a, you know, a high rise building with, you know, starting at the top, you start at the bottom and build a strong foundation. Amen. That's, that's for absolutely certain. There's no doubt about that. Which of those five buckets do you find most people have, have their problems? Where, where do most of those problems land in those buckets? Oh, uh, is it just all across the board, or is there something that really stands out to you? There's there's plenty of problems. That's never the issue. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's always it's always looking at the priorities of which ones can we work on that will have the greatest impact on on the on the rest. Yeah, where's the bang um, for the buck? Yeah, and, and getting that getting some wins and creating some um, ROI early. And we want to do that in you know in the first ninety days, so we we typically start around a sales process, mm-hmm. right? H- having somebody to ha- having a process that allows the sales organization to have a language mm-hmm. about how they talk about their opportunities or their deals, to talk about where they are, um, and that allows us to to deal with that one big problem that the CEOs have in their revenue forecast. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we think that this is sort of our philosophy that the, the forecasts are wrong so often because they allow everybody in the pool. There's no gate. And what I mean by that is if somebody fogs a mirror and they ask for some help, they just put, those types of opportunities into their pipeline and whatever is in the pipeline shows up in the forecast. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we allow unqualified ungated deals to come into our pipeline, this is how we have a, a pipeline that is just full of hope and not much, not much meat on the bone. People are just, doing whatever they're asked to do. So there's no qualification. And it's not necessarily salespeople's fault if they haven't, if they don't have the opportunity to structure those those conversations in a consultative manner and qualify and disqualify people. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty wide and deep problem, but we feel if we start with that sales process and build something that is consultative that is measurable that we know where we are and we know what we need to do to get to the next step the next stage then then we have the makings of of getting a, a, a structure so that that forecast can be accurate it's a process it doesn't happen in a minute because we have to convince people that what they have been doing isn't isn't working and they don't like to pick up that mirror and realize that that's part of the problem. And I'm talking from the CEO on down to salespeople. Yeah. I mean, when you, when, when you talk to folks and you, 
talk about why you need to make some changes in things that usually does uh, throw up some some barriers that you have to help them relax and and get over and, and calm down well. And it's true of every sale we ever made. We've got to help them get past the idea that there's no need to change or, or that that no need objection, if you will. The, the process, I, I love what you're saying there, Walter, because I used to and still do. I teach my clients if if you don't have this if you don't follow the sales process you're probably not going to have a long-term sale and a long-term business relationship with anybody somewhere along the line it's going to fall apart because you didn't do all the different things that you need to do in order to be of service to them and to help them get what they need and it, it is that process that tends to become the system that that works every time that generally always provides revenue somewhere down the line would you agree? Or at least it's it, at least it it, it it it's predictive of what's likely to happen if we go through the process and we do all of these steps and we do them reasonably well. We should have a very good feeling as we approach the end of that sales process where you you actually provide some sort of solution, but um, that that allows for that to to be more accurate. And it's, it's, most people have a process, but most of them suck. They're just like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let me, let me give you a quote. Oh, right? and, oh, and that, yeah, it's, it's, it's painful <laughs> to, to like, why are you giving them a proposal? Well, right. because they asked for it. Like, okay. <laughs> but can you help them? Right. Cause I try to get them to flip it a little bit. You're trying to, you believe in your product and your service. And if you believe in your product and service, then you should be looking to help people with that product and service. So are these people a good fit for your product or service? Are you a good fit to deliver it? I mean, they might, they might need what you have, but they might not have a budget for it. They might not have a need to the urgency to change right now. And it's what you were saying before the, that I, I I think it's it's really helping them helping that salesperson understand that not everybody is is qualified just mm-hmm. because they've asked you to, yeah. and we need to uncover those reasons to to make sure that there really is a fit and that you really can help them. And it's just like talking to your friend that calls you up and say, "Hey, I I got a problem. Can you help me?" Um, and then you sit down and have a conversation with them. You're listening. You're asking them questions, right? And some of those questions are going to make the person feel uncomfortable. Like, why would you do that? Or why would you have said that to the person, right? It, it's all, it, it's the, of the same, the same style. We're trying to help somebody get someplace. And get, making somebody see value and change is always, that's their biggest competitor, the status quo. Right? And that's what you were saying before. It, it, it's why why change? It's I know what I got. I know what's happening. I I don't. It's dangerous to make a change. Um, I got. Wait, 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 Walter, I got to write that down. My greatest competitor is the status quo. That is a line, brother. I mean, that is that is really really true and a really good thing to bring to mind every now and again. So remember that helping anybody change that status quo feeling that that comfort zone that feeling of hey everything's gonna be all right to try something new 
man, that's that's a hard hurdle to get somebody to jump. And and you could have at least this is what we believe, or this is what I've I've been taught over the years in my experience is that you can't tell that person all of the reasons why they should make a change, right? Because you, you can, you can give them four or five, six reasons why they should. But what we really have to do to be successful in sales is to help that person realize yes. that yes. they have that problem and that looking at it from a different angle or looking at it from a different lens, could, this could be better. And then if you have enough of those could be better moments, then the person might just take take the flyer, take a chance, do something that is different than the status quo. Because they do want a different result. They just don't want the risk involved. Yeah, no, absolutely. They, they don't want the risk involved. They don't want the pain of the change. And, you know, it's true of our salespeople as well. You're out there and you're doing your thing and you're you're making some money and you're you're pretty successful and you got things going on and you say, gee, I want to move to that next level, but you've still got to realize if that's the case, then where are your challenges and what can you do differently? Because if you keep doing the same thing, well, you've always done it. We all know that's definition of insanity. So what can you do differently to increase your sales, to increase the number of sales, to increase the value of each sale? What can you do differently? What? How can you change your behavior in order to get those different results? And that's that's what we're talking about. So we kind of change our focus a little bit, Walter, but what about those professional salespeople out there, which we all are, how do we, where, where do we need to develop? I guess that's the first, where do you see that we need to spend time working on our thinking and our mindset and our process for what we do all day long? Uh, that's another great question. I, I think there's there's three areas where salespeople um, need to look. And it's internal, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first thing is like their grit, right? Do they yep. have the commitment and desire? Are they in the right seat? Yep. Right. It, it, can they do what's necessary? And then we, we call it sales DNA. And, you know, it's, it's the, the things that are going on between the ears, right? It, it's, it's like, you've heard the phrase, the longest distance on the golf course is the eight inches between your ears. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> Same thing in sales. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. As a kid, you were taught, don't talk to strangers. Don't talk about money. That's rude. Don't ask too many questions. Right? <laughs> That'll be perceived as rude. And that's you know, what just, we're and that's what we're out here teaching people to do every day. So in sales is go out there find somebody to go do all yeah. of those things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's some some bicycle things that people think about. You know, yeah. so we help somebody look at their mindset from the perspective of if their tendency is to go buy a new car or a new refrigerator or washer dryer, right? Something they got to spend some money on. If they're going to go out and spend days and weeks doing research and analyzing things and looking at all these prices and just doing all this research, then their tendency is to accept that type of behavior from their prospect, mm-hmm. right? So if, if, if you're that research person, then you're more likely, you're more susceptible to that. You know, 
Morris, this is a great idea. I love what you're saying. It's a great service. I need to think about it. I got to go look at two other pieces and, and I'll get back to you. Now that makes sense to somebody who does that when they go make a purchase yes. because, wow, this is a lot of money. And then, you know, there's people like the way I look at it is like, I don't want to go shopping. I don't want to, what, what's, what's the size I need? When can deliver it? Who's going to install it? Right. How can I make this go? I'm willing to spend a little bit more money than, um, you know, I probably should just for the convenience sake of it. Mm -hmm. but once you figure out your budget, move forward, right? And yeah, and so I, I have that tendency. So those the, the that grit in your sales DNA, that mindset piece, the mindset piece. I think we can influence and help the salesperson make a change, um, but they have to recognize that it's a challenge and then decide that they want to do something. And then the easiest of, of the three things is, is sales competencies. And that's mm -hmm. the skills and the training that we, that we get to. But if we don't get their mind right and we don't get them to make sure they're in the right seat and we haven't put them in, the, in a, a spot, because a company has responsibility too. That yep. CEO needs to be able to help them tell the right story, mm -hmm. help them give them the strategy. Right? If that's not in place, the salesperson is going to struggle. So there's a, a there's a lot of moving parts to to getting a high performance sales organization, and it really starts with taking a step back of looking at everything, um, and and really seeing where where their biggest problems are and what can we do to correct those. And we haven't even talked about you and I are probably of an age where we experience some great sales managers, mm -hmm. some mentors. Um, and I, the reason I started my practice is because every time I got promoted to sales management and I was dumb enough to take the role, <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I, I had no idea and nobody else did. They just assumed I did because I was a good salesperson. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I think we, we need to give sales managers that help and the support or what I call a fighting chance to be successful. Um, and, and the skills needed to be a good manager and the skills to be a good salesperson are, are not the same. Now, I mean, I've seen some Tom Brady's out there who became coaches that were miserably terrible and they were mm -hmm. miserable trying to do it. They're great players and, and, you know, star superstars, greatest of all time, like, like a, a Tom Brady. But you put them in a coach's role and they fail miserably. And it's because they're, you know, there, there's been books written about it. Like Michael Jordan yeah. is another example, right? Yeah, yeah. The best, the best coaches are the guys that were the grinders, the guys <laughs> that had to go out and, and work super hard every day, practice and practice yeah. and really understand the fundamentals and then they then they they fall into that role as a coach because they understand they understand the person that's struggling and where they need the help and they also understand the michael jordan and the tom mm -hmm. brady yeah like we just gotta gotta give him what he needs right he needs he needs talent he needs space he needs you know whatever that is and those guys are usually driving they're like your on-field coaches mm -hmm. because they're driving yep. the behaviors of the rest of the team you just have to surround them with quality people 
Well, I mean, that's, that's another great observation you made. That, that Tom Brady, uh, uh, by the way, a Michigan grad, um, <laughs> who has just you know worked harder and and has this 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 vision and this this belief. He's very focused. Michael Jordan was 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 similar. Uh, you know, somebody I forget the author of the book who referred to them as cleaners. Right? They just they don't if they don't understand why somebody doesn't do what's necessary to to win. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, you, you mentioned he's a Michigan grad. The the uh, the I, I'm an Auburn guy, and the only Auburn guy that we've got that I can think of uh, in the football world was, of course, Bo Jackson, and he was great. And probably still to this day doesn't make a really great coach. He's a good business owner and does some great things with his businesses. And a wonderful entre- uh, uh, philanthropist. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's out there putting money in places, and I mean, he he donated a bunch of money to the folks in Uvalde after that tragedy down there. So great men, great people. We're not saying they're not good. They're dead gum, really good people. The role of a coach isn't necessarily their job. If it is, go for it. But it's usually the people like me and you who had to work there, you know what, off to, to make a living who make the better uh, better managers, the better coaches of other people. And and in my case, the, the, the better kind of folks to go out and teach them how to go out and do something a little bit differently. Yeah, it's, there's some, like, Bo Jackson does all of that work and he does it quietly, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And and he does what he's what he's really good at. He can motivate these people he can go find the right resources and see a problem and and know that something should be done and go take action um i mean he could he could probably do just about anything that he really put his mind to yeah um but you know uh i think you've got more successful people coming out of auburn than uh than just <laughs> oh, I know we do. I know we do. And uh, I just can't think of names right off the top of my head, but, but you're absolutely but that right. That is one of the, that's one of the most, it's, it's one of the coolest experiences uh, to sit in that stadium and watch that, that, that war eagle come flying down. Like it incredibly, it, it, it would scare the crap out of me if I was on the other sideline. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us today, man. I really appreciate it. That was a fun conversation. I knew it was going to be. War Eagle. <laughs> Amen. That's it. We're going to go out and be champions today. Hey, man, have a great go. day. And thank you again so much for being with us, Walter. And to everybody else out there, y'all just go out there and make it a great day. You can do it. You've got the right stuff. You know what you need to do. All you got to do now is just go do it. You can make great things happen. We know you can, and we're glad you're listening here. And we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Business of Sales and Business Radio. I'm Morris Sims. 